So our Heavenly Father, we marvel at your presence. And Lord, we rest in you in these moments. Jesus, that you would be here present, that you would speak to us. Lord, we look forward to hearing from you, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I have a friend who claims that he has the gift of healing. His wife verifies it, but it's not what you would think. You see, whenever she gets sick uh, and needs help around the house, he whines and complains about it so much that she just can't stand it. So she can't wait to get better so she can get out of the house and get away from him. That, he says, is the gift of healing. Well, the passage we read this morning is about a different kind of healing, and it's about a different kind of healer. There are a lot of stereotypes of Jesus. Many of those make him out to be meek, mild-mannered, kind of a wimpy sort of guy. But when we look at the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible is way different than that. That's hardly the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus kept the kind of friends and went to the sorts of parties that would get him kicked out of conservative Bible schools and excommunicated from most churches. The religious and political elite considered him a troublemaker. And at one point in his ministry, he seemed to flee from arrest, and at another point, he seemed to be heading right towards it. Someone once said, if Jesus had never lied, you'd never be able to invent him. Jesus initiated the greatest revolution in human history against a powerful enemy who stole the loyalty of everyone and everything in God's creation. It was a revolt against the corruption and the decay of the way the world presently is so that people could right now be restored in the right relationship with our Heavenly Father and with one another. It was about life as God designed it. That's what Jesus' healing ministry was all about. Healing is a physical demonstration of God's loving rule and reign over this world in a way that makes right what has gone wrong. Now, healing miracles give us a glimpse of how God meant this world to be, and they help us see the way that God is ultimately going to make it. And much of Jesus' ministry was about healing, and that means several things for us today. And the first thing that it means is uh, Jesus' healing ministry means that Jesus can restore what is broken in us. Now, the story that we just read, it opens with this impressive scene that shows just how popular Jesus has become at this point, this early point in his ministry. The room is packed. Every seat is full. Uh, even the overflow is uh, filled with people. It's not exactly the problem we have today, but you can imagine what it must have looked like back then. Suddenly, dirt falls to the floor uh, and, and, and straw, and it's falling from the ceiling. And a man is lowered on a mat or a pallet and placed in front of Jesus' feet. This man has no name. His only identity is that he's known by his condition. He is a paralytic which meant that he, his whole life was confined to a three-by-six-foot pallet. And uh, no, nothing could be done for him medically. There were no disability benefits for anyone in that day. Anyone in his condition was laid by the side of the road, dependent on people dropping their coins by his side so that he could live another day. 
Now, most people would have attributed his condition to God's punishment because of some horrendous sin this guy must have done. And he probably felt the same way. Spiritually and physically broken, he was just grinding out an existence that lacked meaning or purpose, and no one, no one would ever be able to understand the pain and the deadness in his soul that each day would bring. People saw what his life was like on the outside, but they had no idea what it was like on the inside. Ever been there? When my wife, Kristen, and I moved to Seattle, we met some friends that uh, took us to a comedy club called Giggles. And uh, we got there early enough so that we could have dinner, which meant that we had to sit close to the stage because that's where they served the meal. And uh, some of the, the acts uh, started, the uh, comedians started their acts. The first guy was pretty good, but the second guy got, he got pretty dirty, he got increasingly raunchy as the, as the, uh, as the act went on. And um, uh, it, it certainly was not primetime television kinds of uh, material. Well, at one point in his act, about halfway through, he got to this place where he was talking about filling some sort of application out. And he kind of went through the boxes, you know, as he was filling it out. Name, he said, I put in George Washington, you know, and, and uh, address, White House. Sex, I put yes. And then it comes to occupation. I thought, hmm, occupation. Sir, what do you do for a living? And then he points at me. Well, I know, and you know, that he was not going to like my answer. <laughs> and neither was my wife, who at this point was sliding down her seat and underneath the table. Well, I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, well, that stopped him. <laughs> You're a pastor? Long pause. What are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be writing a sermon or getting ready for tomorrow or something like that? You, you're not supposed to be here. How can I go on with the rest of this material with a pastor in the room? And he didn't. It messed him up so badly <laughs> that just about any time he got to this dirty part of something he was saying, he'd look over at me, wince, and quickly change his <laughs> vocabulary up. <laughs> That's the first time I've enjoyed that happening to me, I'll tell you that. Well, it was just like this guy was under some sort of conviction that was that, 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 that where he knew he shouldn't be doing what he was doing. Well, after the last act, it's customary for all the comedians to come out, kind of visit with the patrons who are there. This guy was nowhere to be found. <laughs> he was hiding. That was a broken guy. There was something in him, something secret to the rest of us that, was, that had been stirred up. So he went into hiding, couldn't even face us. Something in his past or in his soul, something that needed to be restored, to be healed. It was his version of being a paralytic. It was the part of him that was broken and kept him lying on a mat. So let me ask you this morning, what has you on a mat this morning? 
What is keeping you from standing up and rising and being all that God has created you to be? What would you like Jesus to heal in you this morning? Now, Jesus' first words to this paralyzed man are, Son, your sins are forgiven. And of all the things that Jesus could have said, that certainly wasn't what everyone expected. What they expected was stand, rise, take up your pallet and walk. But Jesus said the words that this man needed to hear the most. We all do. And by linking the pronouncement of the forgiveness of his sins with the healing itself, Jesus proved that he really can forgive sins and that he really can heal. You know, if our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need would have been for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. If our greatest need would have been for more money, God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need would have been for better human relationships, well, then God would have sent Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, and Dear Abby, three in one. <laughs> Lord have mercy. But our greatest need is for forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior, and his name is Jesus. A seminary colleague of mine told the story of how as a young boy he loved to play golf. He'd stand in the backyard, he'd practice his swing, but his parents would never let him play with a real golf ball. They were afraid of the damage it would cause to the house. Well, one day he thought that he was home alone, that his parents had left him. So he ran into the garage, grabbed one of his dad's golf balls, put it up on a tee, backswing, crack. Ball went straight for a little bit, but then sliced terribly and hit his parents' bedroom window. Well, the next sound he heard was the sound of shattering glass and his mother's scream. He ran upstairs to see his mother standing in the fragments of this glass and bleeding. Oh, he just spontaneously started crying, burst out, Mom, Mom, what have I done? What have I done? I could have killed you. I could have killed you. Sobbing. But she wouldn't let him go any further. Because you know what she did? She reached out her arms. She grabbed a hold of him, held him to her chest. And she said over and over and over again, My son, it's all right. I'm all right. Everything is going to be all right. On Good Friday, Jesus took all of our worst shots. Everything that has hurt others, everything that has hurt us, everything that has hurt our relationship with God, all of our sins, all the things that we're guilty of, and he put them on himself as if he did those things instead of us. And then, then he suffered and he died and he paid the price that we owe so that our debt account is zeroed out. And then they put him in a tomb, and they sealed it shut, and they called him done. But he wasn't done. Because on Easter morning, he woke up. He threw open the door. He walked out of that tomb. Jesus is alive. And ever since that day, ever since that day, you and I, we live in a constant state of forgiveness. We are covered, purchased at a price, but no more guilt, no more shame. It's all right, and Jesus is all right, and everything is going to be all right. So today, whatever it is, 
There is nothing so big that Jesus cannot forgive you. Nothing so big that Jesus cannot forgive you. Nothing. No thing. Nothing in your past that is so big that Jesus cannot forgive you. Whatever you are doing today, involved in, in this season of your life, there is nothing Jesus cannot forgive you for. The question is, will you let him? Will you ask Jesus to forgive you? Will you ask Jesus to help you to forgive yourself? Because that's where some of us here this morning are really struggling. Will you ask him to restore what is broken in you? And if my words in any way are stirring something up, don't wait. Would you ask him right now? Jesus' healing ministry means that it restores what is broken in us. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. And the second thing that Jesus' healing ministry means is that we can have hope because Jesus ultimately makes right what has gone wrong with this world. Now, early in my ministry, I attended a healing conference in Pasadena, California. And I remember taking a lot of notes. Some of it was fairly academic. But at one point, our presenters had invited this woman who had scoliosis of the spine to come to one of our sessions. And she shared with us a little bit about who she was and how long she'd been in this condition. And then the presenter asked her to come forward and to lie down in front of the front row of seats. And as she did, we came forward to pray for her. Now, uh, as she lied there, uh, it was obvious one of her legs was not quite as long as the other. Curvature of the spine, uh, because apparently with the curvature of the spine, the hips follow, and one of the legs retracts. So they weren't the same uh, length. Now, um, our presenters then, as, as we were there, uh, started to lead us in this healing prayer. And it went on for quite a while until uh, this woman began to sob. At first, it was kind of, you know, silent sobs or quiet sobs, and, and then it became uh, mu much more uncontrolled until uh, she was shaking and just uh, sobbing. And as she was able, she explained to us that she was in those moments experiencing the presence of God like she never had before. And she felt this deep sense of God's love for her, just hovering around her and, and moving in her, the warmth of his presence. And suddenly, her leg jerked. And it slowly straightened out so that it was at the same length as her other leg. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. I'd never seen anything like that. That was 20 years ago. And since that time, I've had the privilege of being able to see many other people prayed, uh, uh, healed. And some of those I even got to pray for and be involved in a team of people who were praying for them. Jesus came to inaugurate a revolution, God's kingdom breaking into human history. And someday, he's going to come back and finish what he started. Healings, they give us a glimpse of the way God intended this world to be. And they give us hope that one day, God will make right all the wrongs, and he will heal everything. God is no more satisfied with this earth than we are, and Jesus' healings show us what God intends to do about it. His healings are glimpses 
They are previews of what is yet to come. So whatever you brought this morning, Jesus can heal it. Jesus is broke, uh, uh, what is broken can be restored. Despair and discouragement can become hope and significance. Deception can become truth. Loneliness can, be, can become intimacy. Fear can become courage. Weakness can become strength. Because when Jesus gave sight to the blind man, cleansed the lepers, caused that woman hemorrhaging to stop bleeding, when he healed the paralytic and he rose from the dead, he showed that God always has one more possibility for you and for me. One more move, one more miracle, one more chance at change. And even if we die, we will live. Because one day, one day God will ultimately make right what is wrong. And the right way will be the only way forever and ever and ever. Amen? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just want to make sure someone was out there. <laughs> there are no hopeless situations. There's only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. So whatever it is today, don't you give up. And don't you give in. There is hope. You and your struggle, they matter to Jesus. He loves you more than you can even ask or possibly imagine. Jesus' healing ministry means that he restores what is broken in us. It means that we have hope because Jesus ultimately makes right what has gone wrong with this world. And the third thing about Jesus' healing ministry is that he chooses to use us in the midst of it. You see, in the center of this story about the healing of the paralytic are these four friends who heroically carry the paralytic from some unknown location to the destination where Jesus is there preaching. And unable to get this paralytic into the home, the four friends climb the back stairs to the roof. Suddenly, this caked mud and straw begin to fall on the crowd below. And looking up, they, they see some sunlight. It wasn't in Seattle, obviously, but they see some sunlight sort of peering through the ceiling. More, dust, more mud, more, more straw, until finally this paralytic on a, on a mat or a pallet is laid down in front of Jesus' feet. And then peering through the hole are these four faces eager to see this fifth friend healed, expectant, filled with faith, faith so big Jesus could see it. The gospel message is that God is on a rescue mission to win back what was stolen from him at the fall. Everyone, everything, God's great pursuit. But God doesn't do it alone. He chooses to use us. Every paralytic has, has a friend or two that they need to rely on. That's you and that's me. Friends who will love on them. Friends who will be patient with them. Friends who will be kind with them. Friends who will pray for them. Friends who will be courageous enough that when there are barriers standing in the way, they will knock holes through those barriers in order to present them to Jesus. Mark was a six foot three, 215-pound addict who'd been in and out of jail many times. He'd blown just about every opportunity and every relationship that he'd ever been in. Then one day in court, Mark was given the option of going to a recovery program that I had been involved in through the ministry of our church 
at that time, or uh, he could uh, have extended time in jail. Guess which one Mark chose? Surprise, he chose us. Well, after a couple of weeks, I developed a mentoring relationship with Mark. And uh, we hung out a lot, talked a lot about girls and cars and about sobriety, about the Bible, about Jesus. We became good friends. He came to our recovery meetings. He had a counselor, a recovery counselor he's meeting with throughout the week or uh, different times during the week. He came to church service on Sunday. You see, there were a whole bunch of us who were carrying Mark. Then one day, Mark found himself sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I was privileged to be there when Mark asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins and to be the Lord and the Savior of his life. It is an awesome experience to be present when somebody's whole eternal destination, whole eternity changes in a moment. And they, in those moments, recognize they now have a new identity as a son or a daughter of the one true God. It doesn't get any better. Well, in those moments, uh, as the months went by, actually, Mark, um, he radically changed. He stood up, he picked up his mat, and he walked away from that way of life. Jesus had healed him. And a few years after I, I left that ministry in California, Mark sent me a letter. And in that letter, he said, you probably remember the struggles I went through. God is so faithful. He's the most important thing in my life. Without him, I've got nothing. I rely on his grace and his faithfulness. I still have fears and insecurities, yet they're not as powerful. I find peace in knowing that God loves me. People don't seem to put faith in God unless they have no other option. It's sad, but it's true. If anything will attract people to God, it will be his love and the gift of faith through the Holy Spirit. I will always be grateful for everything you guys did for me. Keep me in your prayers, Mark. What an encouragement that was. You know, we need those experiences, you and me. By serving drug and alcohol addicted kids, I got to see Jesus do some extraordinary things, and he healed Mark. And it made me feel spiritually alive, being part of something where God was making right what had gone wrong. It gave me hope that if God could do what he was doing there, then God could do that anywhere. So I decided to give my life to that. That's when I entered the ministry. There is no greater rush, no deeper joy, no bigger adventure than when someone we are carrying makes it to Jesus and then they rise, they pick up their mat and they walk. Carrying them not only changes them, it changes us. See, God formed the heavens and the earth, the plants and the animals, you and me. God raised up a young Hebrew slave to perform God's miracles and to deliver the, the uh, Israeli people uh, from slavery in Egypt. God sent his son, Jesus, to show us what God, God acts like with skin on. But the religious leaders conspired against him, and they executed him on a cross. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead because God was not done, and he always finishes what he started. But the greatest miracle in God's great pursuit, the greatest miracle is his rescue operation to planet Earth. It's when God gets a hold of your life and my life and begins to restore 
what is broken in us. When God transforms paralytics into power walkers, when the lost get found, the weak get strong, the down and out get up and going, nothing works in our lives like Jesus. And when you surrender the control of your life and your circumstance to Jesus, that is when the revolutionary healer is at his best. So what do you need Jesus to heal in you today? And who can you carry so that they can get Jesus healing too? Lord Jesus, we thank you, and even thanks hardly seem adequate to grasp what you do, what you have done in us. Jesus, we ask that you would take those broken parts of us and that you would restore them. You give us hope to live into your ultimate future. And that you, Lord, would show us who you're calling us to carry, that they too would receive your healing. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.